Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And for the finale of season six, we are looking at A Study in Drowning by Ava Reed. Since she was a child, Effie's dreams have been haunted by the Fairy King, and the only place that she has found solace is the book Angerad, about a girl who falls in love with the Fairy King and then destroys him. When the estate of the recently deceased author of Angerad puts a call out to the architecture college that Effie is a student at for a contest to redesign the late author's house, Effie is sure that this is her moment. When she arrives at Hereth Manor, she doesn't expect to be faced with a house that's falling apart or the young literature scholar who is studying the late author's papers and is determined to expose the secrets of Effie's favourite author. Mm. First, a round of applause for breaking the uh, finale, season finale lacklustre book curse. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> We did it. <laughs> we did it. It only took us six seasons. I mean, it can't be all of the seasons where the... the... I refuse to believe that it's every season. You <laughs> refuse to accept that. Okay, let's have a no. look. So... Catherine House was the last one for the first season. That was a hit. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, The Raven Boys, obviously, for season two. That is always a hit. Okay. Then what the Swallows at season three. That was not oh. good. Uh, Dearest Darkest at four. That was also not good. And then How We Fall Apart by Katie Zhao, which also not great. Maybe it's a, a two on three off <laughs> situation. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> but we broke the chain. That's, we did. that's the important thing. <laughs> Curse is broken. Uh, so before we get stuck in to A Study in Drowning, we have our usual content warnings. And for this book, they are misogyny, sexual assault, sexism, mental illness, gaslighting and panic attacks. As usual, please go and check out all of the uh, content warnings, which can usually be found at thestorygraph.com. Also, a big spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about the novel in full. So if you haven't yet finished the book... Go finish it and come back later. If you're not signed up to the Dark Academicals Book Club on Substack, then you absolutely should. It's the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com where we've got exclusive episodes, author content and nerdy deep dives on elements of each of the books that we're looking at. I am going to be delving into um, all of the folklore and mythology um, for the studying drowning for the episode for this book mm. so come and join us <laughs> <laughs> and if you are joining us as this episode goes live um paid subscribers will have already had their first uh exclusive piece of content which is exciting yes they have a, a whole new episode just for them so if you want to get on board, we would love to have you as part of our secret inner circle of the Dark Academicals Book Club. .substack.com. <laughs> I made that <laughs> not make sense by adding the, the .substack.com, but I just can't do it. It's just a run on. Like, <laughs> it's how I think of it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why did we choose a study in drowning? Um, I mean, that is a good question. I mean, 
I did suggest this one just because I really, really wanted to read it. (laughs) (laughs) It was one that I pre-ordered the special edition from Waterstones. My hopes were sky high and I just, you know, you just have a feeling about a book. And how often do we go off a feeling? Like all the time. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) exactly. I think interestingly, this is one of those books that hasn't been pushed as Dark Academia. I would say since it's been published, mm-hmm. there has it has cropped up, like the the uh, term has cropped up a bit more. Yeah, I feel like it. I think it kind of reaches across several genres equally, doesn't it? So it yes. it, it seems to depend where it's being promoted and why, um, as to what kind of avenue going down because it's got hefty romance it's got fantasy and it's got dark academia it's kind of like thirds (laughs) it's got three feet in three different genres yeah but i did notice actually um dark academia is now in the tagline on amazon Mm. um in the title i really hate that they just do that all the time now it's not just the title of the book it's title of the book or dark academia whatever i I don't know why that was a no, I, I know what you mean, though. It feels like it. I mean, I know why they do it. It's for SEO purposes. Yeah, but, but it's like, annoying. It's so annoying because you kind of lose the whole identity of the book in mm. this long kind of TikTok sensation. Oh, I uh, hate it. <laughs> readers will be sensationalized i don't know i i don't write these as you can tell but it just basically it hits all the kind of keywords it yeah. needs to i find it, it even well... more and go on sorry i was just gonna say it might as well just it's literally just a word salad of like <laughs> you know just throw dark academia gothic dark fantasy mm. romance like it'll all just be in there somehow and it would make no sense yeah i i find i find it even more annoying when it's a quote from another author in that tagline. Oh, I know. Because they're then capitalising on the SEO from that other author as well. You're just like, yeah. stop. Just stop. Lee Bardugo said this is a book that she's <laughs> yeah. read. And you're like... <laughs> I mean, they whatever they did for A Study in Drowning, they did it right, though, because it instantly hit bestseller lists when it came out. I mean, as it should... Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. Me too. It was such well, a good ending. If there are still some of the Waterstones uh, special edition floating around, then I would encourage you to get it because it's very pretty. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of uh, dispersing all my secrets here, but I don't really read physically anymore. I generally read on my Kindle and via audiobook. And yes, I do still book buy books, but let's not talk about that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I read this one physically, like the the special edition hardback. And Look. one, I'd forgotten how, like how risky it feels to lie in bed and read a hardback. But <laughs> <laughs> also, it was so nice just looking at that naked foiled hardback. Oh, mm. I did miss that. It's, it's much prettier than my Kindle, I will say. <laughs> Also, let's just let's just not overlook the fact that buying books and reading books are completely two different hobbies. They are. This is very true. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> entirely separate entities. <laughs> you've got buying books. You've got 
buying physical books, uh, buying books in a Kindle sale, um, picking up books on Kindle Unlimited, and also books from the library are all separate hobbies <laughs> that are under the same umbrella. <laughs> I am very good at all of those hobbies. They're <laughs> like top tier hobbies. <laughs> Although I'm not doing bad with the reading this year, so I'll let myself off. (laughs) I think you should. Okay, so let's get into it then. So the first trope of dark academia that we always look at... Oh, I was going to say something actually. Before I went in. Oh. Just to keep you listening throughout the entire episode, we will be revealing our lineup for season seven at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. You will be the first people to hear the new titles if you are, you know, listening to this relatively close to when it came out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can skip to the end if you want, but I mean, that's just mean. That is mean. And I would (laughs) kindly request that you come back after doing so. So our first trope for dark academia is a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. Tick. Yeah, absolutely. We we join Effie when she's at the Architect College. Admittedly, most of the action does not take place at the university. No, but it's still under the university's instruction. It is. It's under scholarly pursuits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the setup for this university was really interesting. Um, it it felt it feels both really kind of refreshing in how it approached it, but also kind of highlighting the um, like inequality. That mm-hmm. I mean, in in the book, it seems absolutely ludicrous, but it's actually not that too far from kind of not that long ago in our own timeline where women would not be accepted into university. And like not all courses as well. Exactly. So the setup here is that as a, even if you're like an exceptional student, top of your class of everyone, you cannot go and study literature. If you're a woman, if you're a woman, the furthest you can go is to architecture, which is really interesting in the sense that architecture in our Mm-hmm. Uh, world is a very like male dominated space yeah it's very scientific very maths very yeah I thought yeah. that was interesting too whereas literature it's often seen as the softer option isn't it yeah obviously not my opinion just <laughs> like the general uh consensus. the general consensus yeah. yeah yeah I thought that was really interesting I I really liked the way we looped back to being at the university again at the end of the novel. Yeah. I thought it really bookended it nicely. It kind of reaffirms like what Effie was doing here and like how she changed over the course of the novel. Mm. Like that I think it's a month, isn't it, that they're at um Hereth Manor. Yeah, just over a month. Yeah. yeah. And the the way she kind of just decides that she's not gonna have it anymore. Yeah. It's a very subtle shift mm-hmm. um, in the sense that she doesn't actually lose any sense of character when you're reading her, but obviously what has changed is her mindset isn't yeah. it? and her kind of her, perspective. Yeah, and her self-worth as well. Yeah. 
she kind of know she kind of stops accepting what's dealt to her doesn't she yeah especially by the um at the hands of men yes absolutely because that's that's what it's all tied up in isn't it the patriarchy and under misogyny yeah because everything at the university is misogyny all of the things that she's experienced that's made her not want to be there under misogyny the threats posed to her at the manor misogyny and even the you know the unveiling of um angerad and the publication again misogyny it's Mm. all completely and utterly tied up in the lives of every woman that's featured in the novel which there aren't actually that many it's a very small cast isn't it in the book yeah very small cast of characters but i think what's so interesting is the division of men's knowledge of it so why is his name completely left my brain preston Preston. Um, so Preston is very aware of how unfair this is. It's kind of that, in quotes, enlightened man, but in a in a genuine way. Like he genuinely believes yeah. this, and he's come to these um, conclusions on his own, and he believes that it's wrong. Whereas you've got the men of the university and the fairy king and Yanto, um, who are very. Aw- some of them are very aware of what they're doing and they're making the system work for them. And others, it's just such an automatic right of ownership. Yeah. That it's not even kind of a consideration for them. And I found that kind of quite clear division between yeah, I, the men really interesting. I thought it was also interesting that um, Preston is kind of used as very much an outside influence in the sense mm-hmm. that he's... He's from, I don't know how, the, I don't. Want to, it's not from another country, that's not the right word, but he's from over there. Like, I don't know, I don't know how the... <laughs> I'm not quite sure on the, the geography and how it works, but they're, they're warring territories. Yes. Uh, Lyre, is that how you say it? Or Lear? I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, he's Argentian. Yes. Or Argentian, I don't... Again, I'm not sure how. We should, probably should have looked up these pronunciations, actually, shouldn't we? <laughs> There's a downside to you not listening on audio. I know. I can usually be like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's kind of that sense of because he has a different um, perspective because of growing up elsewhere. I don't think it's just primarily because of where he's from, but it's just having that different perspective and being able to see it um mm-hmm. around him like so different from where he's from i would assume we don't actually learn that much about where he's from no i think it's also that element of like him being othered as well yeah for his you know for being argentian or i'm gonna go or argentian <laughs> every single time i say that now <laughs> <laughs> Um, because he's been others, he's been excluded, he's been um, vilified for his, you know, something that he has no control over, exactly in the way that Effie has. I think what's really interesting, though, is that Preston never holds it against Effie, but Effie holds it against Preston at the beginning. Yes. I really liked that turn, because normally it would be the other way around. Hmm. 
I find I I think it's really interesting that as a character I really really enjoyed Effie. However, I still found I felt uncomfortable in her flaws, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a bad thing no. because, like you say, by the end of the book she has had this very um, definitive like character arc where mm-hmm. you know she's kind of appreciated her prejudices for what they were, and she's changed. Like we said earlier, she's definitely changed. Um, but yeah, she's a very flawed individual, but not mm-hmm. in the sense that where we have seen characters before on the on this season, where it just makes us dislike them entirely. Yeah, she openly apologizes, doesn't she, for the way she acted earlier on? She yes. kind of she takes that on. She accepts that she was wrong and she apologizes for it. Um, and also, I think you can see maybe see how she was and why she was written in that way it's kind of that that idea of being like embittered by your upbringing and by your experience and by the way you're treated it's kind of like a defense mechanism yeah and I can definitely see that in Effie and the you know that slowly kind of she slowly lets that go as she kind of takes ownership of herself I guess yeah so I think I think it is just part of her growth isn't it but I never yeah I never disliked her. No. I never didn't like um, following her because you kind of had that feeling like this is just part of her journey, isn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely a tick for a higher education <laughs> setting. Yeah, definitely. And also for misogyny, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next up we have secret societies. So, no. Not in the traditional sense, I think usually we look at secret societies from the point of view that the protagonist wants in. Mm -hmm. And I suppose for Effie, that is just being allowed to study at the literature college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's gatekeeping on a wider level, isn't it? Yeah. I think for me, one of the things that really jumped out at me was the idea of like publishing as this secret society. Yes. And I thought that was a really interesting illusion slash dig from Ava Reed mm-hmm. there. Because it very much is, isn't it? Like, if you're not in on it, then you have no control over anything. You And if you're not in the right position of power, you don't... Obviously, I'm, I'm not a published... <laughs> I'm not published or anything. I don't work in publishing. But I have done lots of internships and I've worked with um, publishers... And same as Sarah, but it's very much an inclusive little bubble of a world, isn't it? Yeah, there is still, regardless of what message is uh, pushed outwardly, inwardly, it's still very much it's uh, who you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I mean, that is just life in a nutshell. Uh, often in most industries, it's yeah. you know who you know. Um, but I suppose in terms of publishing it is and writing, even just writing on a, not even on a published level, but it still can be very much like who, you know, to get your, Mm -hmm. to get your work out there, to be seen, to be respected. Um, you know, so many, I'm going to start waxing poetical now, I know, but there are (laughs) so many great, not just indie authors but also traditional authors that just don't have the same 
network and support system that others do and they just fall by the wayside because of that yeah because the the um funds and the support and the marketing are being given to authors she says in quote marks that uh are a lot of the time actually not authors like it's ghostwritten for like celebrity Mm. stuff or you know it's people that don't need that marketing because they are the marketing (laughs) you know yeah we could go on about that for quite a while (laughs) it's also not a very diverse um area and socioeconomically and um also um ethnically as well Mm. and i think that the kind of socioeconomic element of it is something that is picked up on here. Yeah. In a study in Drowning, because um, I keep wanting to call him Mernin from um, <laughs> uh, Morganville, but that's not his name. No. <laughs> what What is his name? That's a great question. Mud. Mud. Murdin. Murdin. Yeah. I've just realised I've read that whole book calling him Mernin. <laughs> 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 well, he yeah. does kind of have similar. <laughs> he does actually, traits. doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't even remember what I was going to say. Oh yeah, so <laughs> why did I immediately forget his name? Murden. 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 So <laughs> Murden is from the south. Um, he's uneducated. He doesn't have um, kind of a. A significant family he doesn't have a significant background and it's this that's kind of what's made this fairy tale you know of him being someone from this background has created the most lauded work of literature in the land you know mm. and it's it's part of this whole mythology because it's not expected from that kind of background and it's not common from that kind of background and also that idea alone is what throws into doubt the idea of its authenticity which i think is really interesting Mm. and then it's proven that obviously it's not his work it's stolen from his you know wife uh formerly mistress i guess um who is from a wealthy background with a kind of known family but she's also a woman yeah. So I th- I think that's a really interesting commentary on publishing and writing as a whole. Mm. Was that long rambling point that was vaguely <laughs> related to secret societies. <laughs> Apparently it's going to be a really long episode today so strap in. <laughs> um old gothic architecture. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything about that house screams gothic doesn't it it's very um dickensian it's Mm. very um miss havisham yes um satis house yes but obviously in this case it's the sea and the salt and the Mm -hmm. the damp and the mildew and the algae that's kind of making this (laughs) house rot and fall into the sea um let me just say that that guest house that they put her up in I don't know how she stayed there for so long. Mm-mm. I would have been even just on the floor in Preston's room faster than you could say yeah, yeah. <laughs> because 
the fact that there was okay right there's here's a big spoiler alert i'm putting a big spoiler alert now but this is something that really icked me <laughs> so uh there's a hole in the roof that drips water onto her pillow mm-hmm. well next to her on the pillow in the same bed that they then later make love in and with the the drippy water and the mold and i'm like oh no no you're gonna get a disease you're gonna get a disease I'm like, just, just no no so, so it's a lot unclean of expo- <laughs> it's a lot of exposure risk isn't there I mean, I know we've done a lot on fungal horror recently, but this felt like it could go that way even though they weren't careful. They were. Yeah, it's pretty grim. As soon as, like, and they were like, oh, yeah, there's no electricity, I was like, girl, turn around. Like, that's not okay. Just leave. No electricity and the, the bath sometimes works. Yeah. No. Oh, it's like she took an hour to wash her hair from the dribbling tap. Like, oh, gosh, get out. You're going to get legion hairs. <laughs> oh, not good. I did like that that was kind of touched upon later, though, as well. Like, we found out Angerad, who is a... I don't think I clarified that out. But you should know this, but if you're, if you're this far into the novel... No. If you're this far into the episode, you should have read the novel. Because spoilers. But... So Angerad is a person as well as a book. Um, <laughs> and she explains that she kind of sent effie to the guest house to protect her because it's warded against the fairy king whereas the house is where the fairy king is so there is a reason for it but i feel like maybe her guest could have been made a little bit more comfortable (laughs) (laughs) like it could have just said left her a bucket on the pillow or something and said this is gonna drip into here or just move the bed I could just feel the damp. It was making me uncomfortable and I just wanted her to get out. And I know when she went to visit, when they went to visit that, um, that pervy old chap Mm. uh, in the manor, and I can't think of what he's called. Blackmore? Yeah. Something like that? I think so, yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I was just like, thank goodness they've got clean beds. They had a nice bath. (laughs) (laughs) I don't ask for much in this life. (laughs) Just a bed that's not damp. And hot running hot water. Hot running water, yeah. <laughs> like the two basics. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those like settings that you can almost feel like you're breathing it in. Yeah. Like, it almost makes your throat feel a bit funny. Yeah. you start, like, how much mould am I breathing in right now? Kind of thing. Exactly. And then, and then the main house itself is very kind of gothic, if not necessarily in its design which she is in the process of changing potentially yes, yeah um but just in the way everything that, else <laughs> yeah literally everything else she thinks she sees a ghost there's like creepy basements that are full of water staircases to nowhere doors that lead straight out into the ocean like it's it's very gothic yeah secret rooms and it's is isolated as well it's at the top of a cliff <laughs> yeah like at the ed- at a- the edge of a cliff as well like and the the master of the house might as well be like the the gothic monster that 
that we often see, like the Dracula or the mm-hmm. you know, the werewolf, the whatever you want him to be, the ghoul, he is every inch that villain. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really heightened by like the switching. And, like the glimpses yeah. you get of the monster through Yanto that we see. It's Yeah. <laughs> there have been several times during this reading I've been like, Sarah, where are you? Because I need to tell you something. <laughs> So the first time I did that was when I asked you if you've met Yanto. Yeah. Uh, you weren't quite there yet. And I was like, that that's what I was going to say. I was like, I think he's the fairy king. So. Yeah. And I was yeah. right. <laughs> I think what's really interesting about the way that this book was uh, designed is that even though you kind of knew like where this was going, mm-hmm. it still surprised you at every step. So even though we knew that Yanto was some form of the fairy king, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessary in the way we kind of expected. He wasn't literally the fairy king. He was the fairy king's vessel. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the nature of the possession and the the curse and how it was, yeah. how it manifested and moved down. That was, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> mm. I was expecting more of a straightforward it's the fairy king who's kind of pretending to be someone else. <laughs> the simplistic route. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, definitely old, old gothic architecture gets a tick. Absolutely. And so does um, a preoccupation with classical studies, Latin, Greek, literature, philosophy for me. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, their the scholarly pursuit is... Effie, you know, being an architect and redesigning this house and uh, Preston is under the guise of collecting Muddin's papers. Um, But he's actually kind of been sent there by the university to kind of put together a thesis on Muddin actually not being the author of Angerad. Yeah. So, and also Effie is obsessed with this book and with this author. Yeah, so it's definitely a preoccupation with literature mm-hmm. um, if in the broader sense, but it definitely gets, it gets narrower and narrower, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but even, I suppose, there is uh, quite a heavy emphasis on the, the studious part, which I think I we love. haven't seen for quite a long time. Yeah. Like every time we go, where show us them studying. Where is the studying? And here we saw it. We had the studying. It's like Hello. in maths class being like, show you're working, okay? Exactly. <laughs> show you, show us how you got to this answer. Show us your workings. Because back back in maths, I used to be like, does it matter? If I got the right answer, does it matter? In that in that instance, no. But in dark academia, it matters. Yes matters you have to see the journey <laughs> so yeah this this gets a very grateful tick from me because i feel <laughs> yeah. like we haven't seen some proper studying for a long time no we haven't i think what i really liked as well was like the the mythology as well because there was real preoccupations with mythology and i like the way that that blended in to the studies it was kind of like it wasn't a side note. It was, it became an integral part. Yeah, it was very much like this pursuit of truth. And yeah. then what, what is truth if, 
you know if if not like is it the facts that you can see in front of you or is it just the experience that you you've had yeah right? it's like if you believe something that's your truth mm. yeah and that was a, a real really nice kind of contrast between Preston and Effie there in their approaches to that I really like that yeah was very clever then we have murder murder definitely <laughs> attempted murder there is attempted murder um well there is there is murder because Effie kills the fairy king I and suppose with that Yanto yes I think it starts with starts with attempted murder um and then it backfires and turns into full full blown murder yeah he had it coming <laughs> he had it coming <laughs> I mean, I did really appreciate the uh, the empathetic uh, slant that we had for Yanto. So, like, mm-hmm. even though, oh, gosh, he was gross. He yeah. was grim, grim, grim. But I liked that Effie could also appreciate and feel, like, grief for mm-hmm. the person that was lost. Yeah. And she could see that even before she fully appreciated what was happening. She could kind of see that... You know, whoever Yanto was, he had lost himself. Yeah. And empathy for, you know, the pers- for his mother losing a son. Yeah. Even though he had become this monster. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, murder. So, attempted murder of Preston, mm-hmm. um, I suppose. And of Effie. Yeah. Even though he, Yanto swears down that he would never hurt her. Mm. You already have, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then we have a dark, moody, and or haunting vibe. This is a, a big tick across the board for me. Yeah. Hits all three. Yeah. The atmosphere in this book was spot on. Absolutely. I felt every drip of rain, every gust of wind on that cliff, every kind of shake of that guest house slash hut, you know, <laughs> It was so vibrant in its darker moodiness. <laughs> yeah, and you felt this constant threat that yeah. Effie felt. That as soon, I mean, even even in the daytime, but even worse at nighttime. And it was when she kept telling us that you know, for however many years, she saw a figure in the corner mm-hmm. of the room. And you're like, oh no. Yeah. No wonder <laughs> she needs sleeping pills. Jeez. <laughs> for me, something that I really liked and kind of connected to another book that we've looked at this season as soon as she got to Hirith Manor she was like no this is wrong mm. exactly like Hill House yeah um, which is no mean feat to kind of convey that mm. and you did you felt that immediately and every time she was in there it was like is she going to make it out this time yeah I think it captured that sentiment perfectly as well because I don't know about you but I feel like we've all had that moment where we've turned up somewhere or made a decision and immediately been like this is not right yeah but yeah. also you're kind of powerless to change what was happening you mm-hmm. just know that it's wrong and now you have to sit with it yeah you have to kind of accept this decision yeah yeah and it's that that helplessness, that feeling of being trapped. Yeah. And she she was literally trapped, wasn't she? She couldn't get away from the house without someone helping her. No. 
as well as, you know, the fact that if she didn't kind of do this, she would have to go back to university in disgrace and she would never make make her way out. No. Or get her chance at getting into the literature college. Yeah, and nowhere is safe for her Mm-mm. at this you know, she can't she can't go home home. No. Her mum is a there. piece of work. <laughs> Isn't she? Oh, made me angry. <laughs> so she can't go home home. She can't go to university, go back to university. And she sure as hell can't stay where she is. But it's the lesser of three evils. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. And not even to mention the fact that she is literally haunted by her in her dreams. Yeah. Like there, there is there is no safe place for Effie. Except for with Preston. Eventually. Yes. I, Which I'm such a sucker for <laughs> every time. I think, though, it was done so, so well. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy to have kind of gone down the very predictable love interest route. And that would have been fine. That still would mm-hmm. have been fine. But the fact that he still had his own flaws and his own foibles, yeah. but he was still patient with her and gave her her space and, you know didn't push himself on her even though I think he admits at some point that he was so kind of preoccupied with her that he didn't eat for a few days yeah (laughs) but we we never would have known like that intensity from how he acts towards her until he told until he told her yeah it's just it's it's ridiculous that we're praising some a man having basic respect for a woman I know the fact that Isn't it? <laughs> he ha- he waited for permission shouldn't be a reason for applause, but here we are. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. So we have hero worship of a particular figure or author. This yes. one's pretty straightforward. <laughs> easy, easy. Yes. Do you know what? We haven't had a straight yes for this for a while either. No, I know. Emrys Murdin, the author of Angerad, is. Worshipped by the whole country slash territory slash land, whatever. Yeah. And I tell you what, there was a bit of catharsis in this for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you felt the same. Yeah. But when your childhood and much of your teens' favourite book series, you suddenly can't enjoy anymore because the author is a twat it's heartbreaking it is it's, I mean, it's a grieving a process it is you know it's not it's not just oh they're a bit of a twat when you find out they're a transphobe she's dangerous it's just it's heartbreaking and it you is. do have to grieve and mm-hmm. the letting go process is not easy no it's i don't know about you but it's taken me a long time yeah yeah same <laughs> and i think the way that Effie kind of explains that is really interesting because obviously she's learning these horrible things about this man who is a horrible man um, in so many ways, (laughs) in the standard ways, but also the really (laughs) non-standard ways, you know? And she she kind of, she's almost ashamed to admit that, you know, she's never going to fully be able to let go of, the book and the story because it's it was so instrumental to her survival yeah but she no longer worships him as a man she doesn't even like him anymore Mm. 
and she's kind of writing his wrongs. Like you said, it's that's quite a cathartic um, element there. Yeah. It was very cleverly done. I think it's also interesting contrasting that with Preston, who doesn't have those emotional connections to him as well. Yeah. And the kind of, like, ease of him accepting that maybe he's not as he is not no that doesn't make sense the ease of him accepting murdin as something other than how he presents himself or how mm. his publisher has presented him it kind of it just highlights the fact that when you worship someone you are looking at them with rose tinted glasses you are kind of pushing away opportunity for any legitimate and needed criticism yeah and it's like that that necessity of um seeing a full person i guess Mm. and also i don't i don't quite know what i'm trying to say but hopefully you vaguely get what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely hero worship yeah (laughs) So old money, which will collide with new money or no money. And I think this is mostly relevant to what we talked about earlier with Murdin and that whole situation. Yeah, It doesn't necessarily feel that relevant for the protagonists because they all seem to be quite comfortable. Yeah. Um, It's not a direct issue in like the current storyline. No. But I think what is interesting that is related to that is the north south divide yes and i feel like i just keep seeing that in books i'm reading lately that divide because it's very it's very prevalent here in the uk Mm. well more specifically england i guess um and is a big thing in america like that north south divide and the stereotypes and the expectations of the people from that part of the country and it's interesting seeing those flip back and forward depending on the country yeah and depending on the book and depending on the mythology and i'm reading house of hunger by alexis henderson at the moment and that also has that as well i was reading it but like i was reading for a bit before we started recording and i was like oh i need to make notes on that no i don't it's no it just keeps <laughs> cropping up everywhere you can just yeah. read this one <laughs> but it just it had so many similarities i was like i must have planned this in some way it can't have been an accident but yeah it, that, that really again i don't know what my point is <laughs> i just find it really interesting that that north south divide is still so prevalent in the modern world as well as Mm. in fantasy and i don't know quite what it is that creates that division and that conflict i guess yeah yeah i don't know just just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) (laughs) if you fancy chatting with me about the north south divide uh (laughs) get on that chat in substack (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll work through it together (laughs) So next up, we have weather as a literary device, and there is a whole ton of that. Absolutely. I mean, where would this book be without its weather? Right? (laughs) It's, and 
again, like we haven't had a long in a long time. The weather is part of the story. It's part of the atmosphere. It's not just there. It has a it's purpose. Into the, yeah, it's written into the myth of yeah, the, yeah the the, drowning. the like, origin stories yeah. of some of these people's identities like relies on the weather. Mm-hmm. Like it's even in their dates. Like because at the beginning of each chapter, there's like a little little epigraph, I guess, little quote, mm. and they're dated. And it was like. For a, a couple of chapters, I was looking at the dates and I was like, that's weird. Because it'd be like 182 AD or, you know, 94 BD. And I was like, what is this? Before drowning and after, after drowning. drowning. Mm. And when it clicked, I was like, damn, you're clever, Overread. I like that. Because <laughs> it's, it's such a subtle touch, isn't it? Mm. Um, like this this weather event defined the culture the land the mythology and is even having effects on effie and preston and yanto and um, angrad 200 years later yeah and it's it's written into everything about the south and the bottom island bottom hundred it's just so well done (laughs) i'm so clever (laughs) it's nice to have um weather as a character again it is. I do love the weather. I know you do. <laughs> it was spot on. Absolutely perfect. Mm. Underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is... Pre- per- per- <laughs> Let me try that again. Underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I mean, she's definitely an outsider. Absolutely. Just just by being born female. like she's... Yeah. And obviously being the only female student at university. Um, and in just even before that, being the person that sees the fairy king. Yeah. Being this kid that is seen as mad, you know. She, she's been the outsider in every step of her life, hasn't she? Yeah. And again, it's that sappy romantic thing that I'm a sucker for. And then she finds her place with Preston. Yeah. And together they kind of like carve out that space for her, don't they? That should have been hers from the start, which I really enjoy. I wouldn't say she has underdeveloped social skills, though. No, I don't think anyone really does. Even Preston, he's just... Preston's just Preston, but he doesn't <laughs> obviously doesn't struggle in a social setting because Mm-mm. he's there on his own with this nut bar. <laughs> like for however long before she gets there so mm. you know he's not he doesn't struggle in that department he's just what she call him smug <laughs> yeah <laughs> smug and smarmy yeah <laughs> but i like that it's like those character traits don't necessarily become a flaw they don't become something that set them apart it's just part of who they are and you kind of take them at, at that, don't you? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely an outsider. Not so much on the social skills. I guess um, Preston also acts as an outsider as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Because isn't he the only... Oh, I have to say it again. Argentan, <laughs> Argentian um, person at the university. So he, yes. he kind of has a similar experience to Effie on being an outsider at the university. And... Just as a person in Liar, Lear. 
really should have looked up the pronunciations. That was an error on my part there. <laughs> yeah, that is all of our tropes. Mm. Did you have anything else that you wanted to um, pick up and talk about? Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything. I think so. Mm. So it's time for the big question. Is it dark academia? Yes, Absolutely. yes it is. <laughs> I mean, who would believe it? A finale episode, a finale book is actually Dark Academia. It's very exciting. I it's... feel like we haven't had a big win in a long time. We have like, We've had some, like, we almost grudgingly give them the, <laughs> yeah. the title of Dark Academia, but this one is to a T. I mean, it literally ticked all mm-hmm. of the boxes. Yeah. And some. Hard pass. It it did well. <laughs> So, as it is, in fact, the finale of season six, we are going to reveal the lineup for season seven. The first book of season seven will be A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. And then we'll have Curious Tides by Pascal Lassell. Then Belladonna by Adeline Grace. Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld. An Education in Malice by S.T. Gibson. And I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. We are super, super excited for this lineup. <laughs> so the new season will begin streaming on the 9th of January, 2024. We are already getting prepped and getting ready to start um, going with this new season. And we have some really exciting things coming up because on top of that, that lineup we have a few extra bonus episodes that will appear at the end of the season with some podcast episodes with some authors so we are super excited to share all this with you and we've got we've got some really exciting stuff coming up haven't mm. we we do we do um and that counts also for our Substack. Yeah. um so as we mentioned before we do have a paid option we have a free option please please come join us there's plenty of content on uh the free subscription but the paid subscription we also have some additional episodes and some other exciting things coming your way which will all be revealed very very soon so you can come and join us at the dark academicals book thank you so much for listening to this episode and for joining us for season six We can't believe we are six seasons deep into the Dark (laughs) Academicals, but we are loving it and we hope you are loving it too. If you are, we would love if you subscribe, follow, whatever it is that you do on your podcast listening platform um, and just chat to us in any way you want to. Um, We really appreciate your following and listening and engaging with us. So thank you very much. Bye. Bye.